Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. And again, a warm welcome to all of you that are here, especially if it's your first time and you have no idea who I am. Um, I'm just so glad that I get the privilege. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, guys, for inviting me up here to share with you today. Um, I'm really excited about this message. Uh, it's a bit of a precursor to what's happening on in your series coming on of what God is like. And it just so happens that this message was prepared even before Jono shared with me that that was, that was what the series is about. So... Um, but during my, my times in, uh, when I was living in America, before I went to Iraq, I lived there for almost 10 years, I used, to, I used to play Aussie Rules football for the New York Magpies. And is there any Magpies fans out here, out there? Diane, where are you? Um, but uh, it, was, it was an amateur footy club, um, very social, as you can imagine, a lot of expats, Australians playing in New York. And uh, I worked at a, a church and... Uh, um, obviously was probably the only Christian on the team, to be honest, um, only follower of Jesus. And, and uh, uh, it, was, it was great. We were very social club. So after every game, it would be a visit to the bar. And as you could imagine, there'd be lots of uh, Aussie antics going on. And it made for a lot of conversations because I would always be drinking a Coca-Cola because at the church where I was working at, there was a policy you couldn't, you couldn't drink alcohol. And so um, they'd always just be like, what's, what's the deal with this? And it would it'd lead into to what I did for work. I was overseeing uh, mission teams that went throughout the whole world at the time, um, doing all kinds of works and, in, and medical clinics and orphanages and different things. And, and it just made for these great conversations. And it always went along something like, like this. How, I mean, like, I, I, I kind of, you know, grew up Catholic and this, and I'd always try to explain them their, their kind of why they didn't really believe in God. And I love to ask this question with them. It was always like, okay, so you, so you don't believe in God. Please just tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And then they'd start listing off all these different things about, oh, God, you know, in Catholic, they teach us this in the church. And then, and, oh, this happened to me when I was growing up. And I don't think this could happen. And as they listed all these things, I could honestly say to them, 90% of the time, I'd be able to say, you know what's so crazy? I don't believe in that God either. And so the question... I really realized that was most important to ask was not, do you believe in God? The question really is, what kind of God don't you believe in? What is this kind of God that you don't believe in? Because we always come with a full plate to this question, to the table. You know, we've been influenced in our lives and our upbringing, the way we were taught, maybe educated uh, as a young kid, or maybe our, our, our people that influenced us um, reflected maybe an image of, of God that we didn't, couldn't really gravitate to or like at all. Those ideas, there's so many, so many things that influence us and paint this picture throughout our journey of maybe what God is like. And, um, you know, I found that myself in my own journey. It's a journey of discovering who is God really like? And if that's you today and you haven't really, you've been wrestling with these ideas of what God is like, we're all in the same boat. In fact, discovering who God truly is like is a journey of discovering, rediscovering, maybe letting go of some misconceptions and lies. There was a song we just sang, Reckless Love, there's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. And there's so many things that we can't come to the table with that we have to say, God, is this truly truly what your life and and that's why because 
Christianity truly is more about or can be better to be described as a relationship than a religion because discovering what someone is like is the very essence of what being in a relationship is. I don't know about you, I'm discovering every day what my children are like, their personality is growing, my, my, the person you marry isn't always the person, they, they're growing and learning and you're discovering things over years and years of marriage, that's why it's a beautiful thing, it's not just this static, God is not a static sense, set of principles, he is a person, he is a person. And I think that's just so, so foundational as we approach this topic of what, what really is God like. See, how we perceive God will determine how we relate to him. What we perceive that he is like will determine our response to him. And just like my footy mates back in New York, they often had very um, skewed visions or misconceptions about what God is like. And there's some very popular ones that I think they believed that so often we can see in our culture and our society around it. I'm going to highlight just a few of those this morning as we lead into it. And the first one is what I like to call the, the policing Old Testament God. And, and this policing Old Testament God is often portrayed as this very, not very nice looking uh, figure up there. That's in, I think, the Sistine Chapel in, in Italy. Um, he's this God that's a, like a policeman with a set of rules, you know, that's got Ten Commandments in his hand and he's just waiting to just point out every, every time that you've made a mistake and broken one of his rules and he's just, and it's always just to make your life miserable. And I used to hear this all the time when talking with my 40 mates. It's like, how can you believe a God that just doesn't want us to have any fun? He's just like the fun police, you know? No fun at all. And of course, this isn't, this isn't truly the picture of God that we see throughout the Old Testament, is so, but it's so often the one that is kind of dominantly pointed out to us by a lot of people. Maybe you come in this room and you kind of just how you feel God is like. You just haven't really experienced or you haven't really pictured um, a God much different to that. He's this authoritarian figure. Only certain people get to meet with him like Moses, but but, but everybody else kind of has to, unless you have special back, you know, backstage pass, you really can't really get to know this guy. He's very distant authoritarian. And if, and if there isn't this image of God that's got the Ten Commandments in one hand, he's got a lightning bolt in the other, and that leads me to the next one, the Zeus God. You know, this was a very popular picture of God around the time that Jesus lived and walked on the earth. It was this Greek-eyed, Greek God, uh, God Zeus, that was down there. It, it, like, any time you did anything wrong, it wasn't just, here's the rules. It was like, and the lightning bolt is going to strike you for, down for doing that, whatever wrong thing you did. And if something bad happens, and you don't really know why, probably it's it's... God just punishing you for something that you've got to have to figure out, well, what did I do wrong? When there's a, a natural disaster or something happens, yeah, it's God, lightning bolt. And these, 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 these subtle imageries of God. Now, you might not think about God like that at all today, and that's wonderful. We sing songs like that that reinforce the, what I believe are a true picture of a God of incredible love, reckless love. But sometimes, though, in the background, there might just be subtle notion when you do something wrong, when something bad happens, maybe, just maybe, that's God. And then the last kind of, I think, misconception of a God that I think is, influences us more than we realize is the, well, they call the, the performance-oriented Santa God. <laughs> uh, you know, 
You know the song, how it goes. Be good for goodness sake, right? He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. I'm not going to sing the whole song for you, but he's this God that has a threat, essentially, a threat of reward or judgment solely based on your performance. And uh, he comes across a lot nicer as the two other kind of gods that I've I portrayed. He's a lot nicer, you know, giving gifts and stuff. But there's this, subtly there's this, there's this other side to him that will punish us based on our performances. He's a, so if there's any suffering or bad things happening in life, it's probably a result of your bad performance. And he's keeping a record of wrongs. In fact, he's tabulating it twice. Even while you're sleeping, he's making sure he knows every wrong thing that you have done. And if we're not careful, we can kind of, these two sides of God, we can kind of make Jesus the nice version of Santa God. But in the background, lurking in the dark background, is this, maybe this picture of God the Father who's really standing over us, looking at our life based on our moral performance and judging us solely based on that. I think it's safe to say God is not like Santa. He's not like the misconstrued Old Testament God that I presented earlier, or the Zeus God. Like I said earlier, God is a person. He's not a set of principles. And he doesn't have an disassociative identity disorder where he's two kinds of persons. In fact, God the Father is not a different sort of God or not, not a different sort of person than Jesus the Son. And that is precisely why Jesus came to this earth, to reveal to us exactly what God truly is like. In fact, the first followers of Jesus, after they observed his incredible way he lived his life, his amazing teachings that took everyone by absolute, complete amazement, and not only his way of life, but his way of death, and ultimately his way of resurrection, they were left without a doubt that this truly was God come to earth. And Jesus' life as a rabbi, as a teacher, that was his kind of career when he was on the earth, was to gather together around, of, around him a group of apprentices. They would call them disciples. And, and what he would do is he would gather around them. And I believe one of his main goals, his main purposes, was to show them truly what God the Father was truly like. Because there was a lot of misconceptions, just like in our day today, a lot of misconstrued ideas of truly what God is like. And after Jesus' life, after he ascended to heaven, uh, there was a letter that was penned. Many people say it was by this guy named Paul, who became a very leader in the early church. And he wrote these things down, um, and it was a letter to this, uh, the first Jewish followers in the region. And he said in Hebrews, in the letter to the group of Hebrews, these Jewish believers... Uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things. And through him also, he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Let me put it this way. 
If I were to give you a blank space this morning and say, what if God is much more? Let's put that slide up. And you could fill in the blank. If God is much more kind, kinder than you had ever thought. What if as you think about him today, maybe what if he was much more, more just? You know, we see terrible things happening. We might look at a, a teenager doing some hideous crime, but we can look at God and say, you know what, God, you know better. I don't know what his upbringing was like. I don't know what things happened in his past that led him to the place that where he's at. But God, I trust that you do, and I trust that you are more just because I know that you are a good God. And maybe he's more interested. Maybe you could put the word interested up there. Maybe he just cares more about your life, more than you would ever, ever could imagine. So I believe Jesus' goal was ultimately to portray a God that was just so good, so true, than you and I could ever, ever imagine. And I mean good in the truest and most purest and most extreme sense of the word. God, this morning, if you want to ask me what God is like, I would say God is good. There's probably no better way to kind of, uh, you know, our kids are probably the, the, the I've learned as a father, have uh, revealed to me so much more the, the beautiful uh, heart of that God I know would have towards us as his children. And, and there's this one occasion, uh, I do a lot of travelling, these days, and there's this one occasion where I, I knew I was going away, just like on this trip, I'll be gone for 10 days, back for two days, and then gone another for another 12 days. And so I realized that when I'm about ready to leave on a trip, I have to work extra overtime with uh, morning routines and give Sarah a little few extra sleep ins so that I can get the kids' lunches packed and send them off to school because I know that she's going to have to like do the lion's share of the work. In fact, she's going to do all the work while I'm gone. And so this particular day. It was a day before I was leaving. I got up super early. I went down to, to August, who is our youngest 18-month-old. You can see a picture of our, our four kids there. Um, and August uh, on, on the right there, he's our youngest. He's a terror, Matt. He just climbs into everything. We actually have to put locks on our top cabinets because he climbs up onto the countertops and gets into the glassware and stuff now. So um, that's how, how much of a hard work he is. So I got up really early one morning. I took care of him because he was awake. Um, and my, um, I was making coffees. And as a good dad does when they look after the kids, got a little distracted. And I'm like... Oh no, where's August? Where is he? And my eldest daughter came running down the stairs and I said, Eliana, let's find August. We've got to find him. I don't know where he is. And so we were running around the house looking for him. And, and uh, Eliana goes, I got him. He's in the toilet. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, there's a big problem with this. And that is our plumbing in our house that we have doesn't really work so well. And, and my morning routine usually uh, begins with a visit to the bathroom and I flush the toilet once, but I usually have to go back a few minutes later to flush it twice to make sure that whatever business has been done has been completely taken care of. Well, this kid was literally like waist up in poopy water. And my daughter, she just was fearless. She runs and grabs him, pulls him out, plonks him on the kitchen floor, and he just looks at me smiling, comes running to me, and I'm like, oh, good. pick him up. And my wife at this point, what's going on down there? And we went straight into the bathroom, had a good old shower and bath together. But um, it was kind of crazy. But, but uh, that same very night, right, I was trying to, again, work extra hard and get the kids sorted out um, for bedtime. And so I'm trying to find my youngest daughter, Lily, um, and she's our third. And, 
and she was nowhere to be seen. Well, eventually, after a good, like, three or four minutes, we were looking everywhere around the house, getting a bit worried. She was in her closet, which had been converted into, like, a little, like, play place, and uh, she was in the corner with her hands behind her back like this. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? What have you done? And she was dead silent, didn't move a muscle. She just kept inching back. I mean, there was no more room in that corner to go back, but you could tell. She just wouldn't tell me. Just tell me what's going on. Like, please, Lily, like, what happened? What's going on? And sure enough, I had to pry away the scissors that were in her hand and the Barbie, the doll on the floor that had all the hair cut off. And, and of course, you know, she obviously got a little bit of a, um, wasn't allowed to use the scissors. But all I wanted her to do was to just talk to me, to come to me, to just explain. wasn't, and I realized it doesn't take long from an 18-month-old to a f- nearly five or to a five-year-old to have a completely different approach to what happens when they're caught in mess and trouble, right? They were both caught in a mess and problem of their own doing. One of them just decided to run to their dad. The other one kept holding back, fearful, afraid, because of the different perceptions they had had about how I would treat them. And how much more as we go through life can we be like that? We grew up and our perception of maybe how God is going to treat us when our problems get a bit bigger and, and harsher and, tr- and life happens. And it doesn't have to be something of your, your own fault. It could just be mess and trouble. And God just saying, I just want you to come. But how we respond to God when we are caught in our sin or our mess and our trouble reveals what we really think God is like. Think about that for a second. How we respond to God, just like my kids, when we are caught in our sin and our mess or in trouble, reveals what we really think God is like. Do we run to God or do we, do we hide from God? Now, when I think about the story of my kids, I'm reminded of the story of a guy in the Bible. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, his first followers. In fact, became the leader of the whole Jesus' followers after uh, Jesus left and went back to heaven. His name is Peter. And on his first uh, interaction, his first encounter with Jesus, the story kind of goes a little bit like this. And the, yeah, the, the gospel writer Luke records that Jesus was, was just beginning in his ministry and he goes to the shores to, of the Sea of Galilee to start speaking and teaching. And he sees this, this crew that are out fishing at night and he, and he says, hey guys, um, there's a good-sized crowd here, and they'll probably hear me better if I jump in your boat. The water, you know, my voice will carry across the water. Can I jump in your boat there? Looks like your, your, uh, your boat's empty and doesn't smell too bad. They'd been out all night, caught absolutely nothing, and he jumps in and he starts teaching. And, and at the end of teaching them, he says, hey, guys, how about we, how about we go out and uh, do some fishing and get you those fish you didn't get last night? And they just kind of laugh and... You know, I'm sure there was a bit of sarcasm, like, yeah, like, you know everything about fishing. We're the professionals. Uh, we've been out fishing all night, caught nothing. But anyways, there's, it's, uh, they kind of cave in to Jesus, and out they go in, in to, to go catch some fish in the middle of the day. There'd be no way on earth that fish should be uh, out there in the water. Um, and they toiled all night. They probably worked hard to, to make sure that... Um, listening to a, like, I don't know how much, you know, listening to Jesus teach after being up all night, then to have to go out again. This was really kind of a stretch for them. But they did it anyway. They go out 
And he, Jesus says, uh, lower your fish down over here in the deep. Now there's, again, there's no way it should be in the deep. Fish actually actually gather around in the, the shallow kind of shoal areas, but he does it anyway. He says, go into the deep. And as they catch this miraculous catch of fish, they have to call friends over to come back out again and, and get all these fish. And Peter, who was the leader of this crew at the time, suddenly just has this epiphany. And I, I believe it's, it says, this is, this is how he responds. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, this miraculous catch of fish that they'd caught out in the deep, he fell at Jesus' knees. And what does he say? He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they have taken. I believe he said, go away from me, because he probably thought if God, this guy, Jesus who was getting a reputation for being a, a, well, a prophet, a, one who really spoke truths of God, if he can see deep down into that deep water, the fish, then he could probably see deep down into my heart and see how messed up and how broken and sinful I am. And his only reaction at that point was, well, if I'm like this, then there's probably nothing you want to have to do with me. You're, you're obviously a remarkable person, a prophet, but, mate, I'm, I'm all the way over here. How does Jesus respond, though? It's incredible. And Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't have fear. Don't fear me. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Jesus said, I want you. I want you, even in all of your brokenness, even in all of your sin. And that's what Jesus is saying to us today. That's what he is like. So Peter would have begun this journey, I believe, of following. It says he left everything and started following Jesus around. So he began this journey now of listening to this, this prophet, this rabbi, this teacher speak. And some of the things and the stories that Jesus would have said would have probably started to completely reshape this view, this idea of what God is like. He would have heard stories like uh, the, good sh- uh, the Good Shepherd about God being like a, a good shepherd that when there's has a hundred sheep, right? There's a story, it's called a parable, a short story he tells, where God has a hundred sheep and he, he counts them up at night. This shepherd counts these sheep up at night and, and finds out there's one missing. What does he do? Recklessly leaves all those 99 sheep behind and goes searching and seeking and trying to look for that lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he just carries that sheep home on his shoulders, comes running back and says, yes, it was lost, but now it's found. And he would have heard stories about Jesus trying to explain what God truly was like and what life in his family was truly like. It'd be like a father that had two sons. One of the sons got a little bit greedy. The younger one says, oh, you know what? Give me my full inheritance. And he takes his inheritance and you know the story. He squanders it. He just spends it on wild living. A famine hits and he's just left with absolute nothing. He's resorted to actually having to, to work as a slave in a pig pen. I mean, this is radical. Like Jesus was trying to make a point here. I mean, Jews don't work for people that own pigs, let alone eat the food out that pigs eat. I mean, this was totally non-kosher, totally everything. Jesus was making a point. This, this young boy was absolutely depraved, the worst 
worst kind of son you would ever want to have. And yet he dawns it. He says, you know what? I could probably be a slave in my father's house if I go back. It'd be a little bit better than this. He goes back and what do we hear? See, this story really isn't about the son. This story is really about, and we often it's called the prodigal son, but really this story is about a good father. A good father who's there, what? Waiting on the horizon. And as soon as he sees his son coming towards him, he comes running at him. He wraps his arms around him. The son wants to start apologizing. doesn't even give him a chance. He says, you, you're welcome back in. In fact, I'm going to treat you like a son. You, you, I thought you were dead. You're welcomed back in. See, these are the stories that Peter would have been hearing. These are the stories that, that it thankfully recorded for us to hear what they would have been hearing. And he would have been learning and discovering what this Jesus, what this, and he would have heard Jesus say even things like this. If anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So he would have been putting this two and two together. If God is like, if God is like this, then, and you are like this, then you, mate, his mind would have been blowing up about how good God is. But you know the story of Peter. Unfortunately, what he's most well known for is really messing things up, right? Start, he actually does the most hideous thing that you and I could probably ever do. He betrays his best friend at his time of greatest need. The story goes that Jesus was getting targeted and all the religious folk and everyone were like, we've got to deal with this guy. And on the night that Jesus eventually was, was crucified, it records that Peter denied ever even knowing him to a meager little servant girl around a fire pit. Peter had stooped to the lowest place in his life, totally blown it, totally messed things up. That, we know that's not the end of the story. See, Jesus intended to lay his life down to truly show us what God is like. God is like someone who would lay their lie down, life down for us, even in our worst. That is what God is like. So Jesus endures the most intense torture that humanity could ever endure, but he conquers and rises from the dead three days later, truly displaying that he truly is God come in the flesh. Powerful over sin, powerful over death. He conquers it all. A few days passed, though. Peter, I'm sure, was still wrestling with this inner failure that he had. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the last encounter that Peter has with Jesus, he takes, we're taken back to that Sea of Galilee where Peter's, you know what? I'm gone fishing. <laughs> I don't think God could ever use me again. I've blown it. I'm a complete mess. God surely has other people that he cares and loves, would rather use. So he says, I'm going back to my old life. He starts fishing, grabs his friends. He's a leader and convinces a few others to go with him. And but Peter has one last encounter with Jesus and Jesus is rocks up onto the shore. The story goes like this. He's out fishing. He'd been toiling, they'd be toiling all night, got nothing again. And uh, Jesus is walking on the shore, deja vu, and they don't recognize it's Jesus. And he says, hey, hey guys out there, how's it, how's it going? They're like, not doing so good. And why don't you drop on the other side? I bet you catch some fish and... Well, the story goes, they do that, and 
Peter doesn't recognize right away after they get this huge haul of fish and Peter doesn't recognize right away that 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 was Jesus. He has to get a nudge from his mate John to say, look, that's Jesus. The most profound thing happens. How does Jesus, how does Peter react to Jesus this time? Well, in John 21 verse 7, it says that then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him we had taken off. And what does he do? He jumps into the water, swimming for God. You see, I think he had an absolute transformation about what God is truly like. And he realized that even in his lowest point, even in his mess, he could come running, swimming to God. You see, God wants us to come to him no matter what, no matter the circumstances. He wants us to tr- be able to trust that he is a good, loving father. He is a good God. Just like my children, I want them to come to me no matter what. And even if Peter didn't have the strength to jump in that water, I bet Jesus would have dived in that water, maybe run across the water. I don't know. He would have done everything he could to go to, to, go to Peter and wrap his loving arms around him because that... This morning, friends, is the God revealed to us in Jesus. That is the God that we have today. And so he will always come running after you. Maybe this morning you've got some lies that you've been holding on to, believing about God, some misconceptions that have kind of deep-seated. You might not really be aware, but when things, trials come, when problems happen, when you just can't seem to be doing things right. These lies tweak in, well, I can't come to God. Mustn't be good enough. God, you're probably not a good God. You're probably angry at me. You're probably disgusted at me. You're probably mildly disappointed with me. I promise you this morning, that is not the God who stands here this morning with his arms open wide saying, come to me. I want you to experience who I truly am and what I am truly like. God is good. You see, when we hear the word eternal life, Jesus taught that eternal life was actually to know him, to be in relationship with him. Eternal life wasn't just some this distant thing of place of utopia we go to. No, it was entering in. Eternity is now in session. And it's entering in to this relationship, this reconciliation with God. There is nothing now that separates us from that anymore. Jesus has dealt with it. Nothing, the Bible says, neither death, nor life, nor sin, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, or the past can separate us from the love God has for you and I. And that's my invitation this morning, an invitation into saying, I'm going to let go of some lies today that I'm not good enough. I'm going to let go of some lies that, God, you're not good. And I'm going to truly receive you and I'm going to run into your arms. I'm going to discover who you truly are and I'm going to go on a lifelong journey of discovering that and rediscovering that. Maybe you've never done that for the first time. Maybe you've never really even put your hope or trust in Jesus as a someone that is good, that loves you. 
that is offering you this relationship to know him. Well, I think we can spend some time and pray to do that this morning because there's nothing in the way. He's as close as a prayer. He's as close as a whisper. And even when you don't maybe even have the courage to even whisper it, God is working in your heart, bringing you closer and closer to him. So I'm just going to pray right now and invite Jeno up to close the service. But I don't know where you are at. <laughs> but I, I would venture to say that all of us could probably pray today and say, God, I want to know you truly, really experience your love this morning, whether it's for the first time, whether it's dealing wherever you're at, saying, God, yeah, I want a true picture of who you life, uh, who you are like. So let's do that as we pray. Let's close our eyes and I'm going to pray. And if you want to repeat and say this after me, if you whisper it, however you feel the courage this morning, but don't hold back. Let's pray. You can repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for showing me what you are like in your son, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to know how good you are. I want to let go of my shame. I want to let go of my sin. I want to let go of the lies that I don't, that I believe in. Help me to know you more. Thank you for inviting me into your family. I put my trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.